dust and breath we are living. Our community has responded incredibly well. We said that this is going to be a marker for our city about who we are, who the church is, who God is. And so we dedicated uh, lots of resources to recovery. We hired staff just to handle recovery. We can go around to neighborhoods right now in Houston and we hear story after story after story and people will say to us, Ecclesia is my, my FEMA. We've raised um, somewhere near the neighborhood of $2 million to do rebuilding. We're working on a project. We have a warehouse in partnership with World Vision where we're just truckloads are coming in of supplies every day. This is going to be a multi-year rebuild. That was Sean Palmer. He's the teaching pastor at Ecclesia Houston a beautiful, diverse, and hopeful church right in the heart of downtown Houston. And he was talking about the relief efforts that they're engaged in after the devastation of Hurricane Harvey. I had a conversation with Sean all about the church and how it can be a hopeful presence in the world instead of simply irrelevant or hypocritical. Sean just wrote a book called Unarmed Empire in Search of Beloved Community, and it is so good. So you're going to want to run out and get that book, Unarmed Empire in Search of Beloved Community. Uh, But before you do that, take a listen to this interview because I found it so hopeful. Enjoy. Well, everybody, I'm here with Sean Palmer. Hi, Sean. How are you, my friend? I'm well. How are you, Steve? Doing good. Uh, man, it's good, to be, um, it's good to be on the show with you. I've been looking forward to this for a number of weeks. Uh, Sean, you just wrote a book, Unarmed Empire, in Search of Beloved Community. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, I'd love to hear how the podcast is going, Not So Black and White. Uh, but before we get into that, can you talk a little, a little bit about your spiritual background? Um, obviously, the church is a big passion of yours as you write about it. Uh, but like, sort of, it, did that come from growing up? How did you grow up in terms of practicing your faith? Yeah, so I was uh, born in Mississippi, born and raised in the South, and I am unashamedly a product of the Southern churches. Um, but what's interesting is like I grew up in Churches of Christ in the South, oh, wow. and uh, we are kind of part of historically part of the American Restoration Movement, which now includes Churches of Christ, Disciples of Christ, and Christian churches slash Church of Christ. So, and uh, you know, there there's a big sp- theological spectrum just in those, and so what you saw over the years was split after split after split. And so I was raised in uh, Churches of Christ, which are pretty conservative. Um, restoration movement. I grew up believing as I was taught in Sunday school that we were the only ones going to heaven. Apparently a lot of people, even people outside of Church of Christ were raised believing that their group was the only one going to heaven. Right. Um, and I grew up really with a fear of God uh, and a love of the church wow. all together. And I was part of this really mixed bag uh, in Southern Mississippi because there was a church that was kind of planted when I was um, maybe three or four years old, and it happened to be a multiracial church. I think just by denominational loyalty more than anything else. Like we're, they're just a small group of us. It was a small church. I remember the men of that church and the women of that church building the building with their bare hands. Wow. We started out when I was a kid meeting in a storefront. Um, I still have crisp memories of my father being baptized. He was raised Baptist. My mother was raised in Churches of Christ. Um, in the marriage, they got Churches of Christ. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so uh, and in those days when I was a when I was a boy growing up in uh, on the coast of Mississippi, 
church was just central to everything that we did and everything that we were. And uh, there were some really negative aspects of uh, the kind of theology and Christianity that I inherited. But there were some really powerful and beautiful aspects. And I, I kind of stuck with the church long enough to parse out, to tease out what was beautiful and true and strong about it and um, to abandon some of what was toxic about it. Yeah. And what I want, uh, you know, I want everyone in the world to have the kind of community and affiliation and love and grace that I was taught in church as a young kid. So wow. uh, that's a little bit about me. We moved to Atlanta when I was a teenager. I grew up in Atlanta doing junior high and high school there. Went off to college at Abilene Christian University, which is, um, which was then when I went to college, a pretty solidly Church of Christ school. Now, uh, Church of Christ kids there are outnumbered, still a Christian university. And that's been a great thing for our movement in some ways. Uh, so went into ministry, served several churches of Christ and landed here in Houston. This is my second go around living in Houston about six months ago as the teaching pastor at Ecclesia Houston, which is a uh, non-denominational church, uh, multi-site church here in town. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Thanks for that, Sean. And so let's talk a little bit about Houston before we get to the book. How was the aftermath of the hurricane in terms of just your people? I mean, how did you, I mean, I was obviously, I even kind of went on your website, went on your church's website and sort of said, like, how are they dealing with this? Uh, How was that and how has it been since the hurricane? Um, It's been horrible and beautiful at the same time. Hmm. I mean, the the destruction of the city um, was terrible. There were some people who lost everything and it cuts all across socioeconomics and race. and we're still rebuilding. I, I live in, in a house near downtown right now, but I also own a home on the west side of town. That house flooded. Wow. Um, FEMA has been no help. Um, we just got a check from our insurance company. I'm wow. meeting with a general contractor next week and walking. And I, I'm one story. Um, we've had people in our community. I mean, obviously, because we're multi-site, we're a large church. And so it has touched us at every level. But in the midst of that, our community has responded incredibly well. We said that this is going to be a marker for our city about who we are, who the church is, who God is. And so we dedicated uh, lots of resources to recovery. We hired staff just to handle recovery. We can go around to neighborhoods right now in Houston and we hear story after story after story. And people will say to us, Ecclesia is my, my FEMA. Wow. We've raised um, somewhere near the neighborhood of $2 million to do rebuilding. We're working on a project. We have a warehouse partnership with world vision where we're just truckloads are coming in of supplies every day. This is going to be a multi-year rebuild. Yeah. And, uh, we're first, we're taking care of, um, the people in our community who have the least. So if you're part of Ecclesia, you're connected with Ecclesia and you've got like me and you've got flood insurance and you're going to get a check and you can go out and hire a general contractor and all that. Um, God bless you. We'll walk with you. We need to support you, but we're going to help people who have nothing. And we've got folks who like me who are rebuilding, living in their parents' house, a neighbor's house. That's right. And it's been traumatic and it's still traumatic. We, um, we brought in uh, psychologists and psychiatrists, counselors. We've got something going on every day that has to do with uh, Hurricane Harvey. Now we're having Harvey dinners for people. Mm. We're, we're fortunate enough to have professional chefs on our staff and space to do some things. We have folks come in 
And we just said, we want to walk with you through all of this. We want to celebrate your wins. We want to be there as you struggle. Uh, um, and we want to be helpful. So we've got a whole team of people that are doing Harvey related stuff 24 seven. We've had churches, particularly Mariners church in uh, in LA and Orange County. They have sent a team except for the week of Christmas and the week of Thanksgiving. They've sent a team of people here to work with us every week wow. at our West side campus. We transformed one of the buildings over there, uh, to what we're calling hotel Jesus. Hmm. And over at Hotel Jesus, we transformed rooms, put bunk beds in them, built showers over there so that we have um, guests come and stay there. If you can hang sheetrock or do work, we can, we'll put you up and we'll feed you well. We went out and bought a food truck just for over there to feed those people. Um, so it's been in, in that in those terms, it's been amazing to see what the church can do when we come together and decide that we're going to do something and make a long term vision for we're going to be here for a week and we're going to hand out some bottles of water and uh we're going to you know help you muck out your house and then you're on your own your own this is a this is a big recovery that also has trauma associated with it yeah big time i'm glad you brought up the trauma element because i think you know from the news perspective those of us that uh you know, aren't living in, in Texas, all we saw was the physical devastation. But I assume just even from a, from a pastoral perspective, trying to navigate people's pain in the just the sudden loss of it has been probably exhausting and pretty brutal. It, it is. And we, um, you know, we had some folks come in, the counselors come in, uh, Dan Allender and his team from the okay. Seattle school and yeah. just work with the staff about what to expect um, over the next year. And so we're, we are preparing for that. And one of the, you know, it's one of those things also, Steve, that's really beautiful is that one of the things that Harvey is going to produce for us is a lot of babies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I read that actually, that that's a thing. That's, that's a phenomenon, yeah. right? That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this, uh, we have this great opportunity to bless and welcome these families and babies who are going to be joining us. Um, you can, you can probably set the clock from when people were shut in their house, um, for several days at a time to some due dates. Yeah. <laughs> going to be May sometime um, next year. And, we're going to be yeah, having some yeah. babies. And as a church that loves and welcomes children anyway, anyway, like this is, um, at Ecclesia, there's probably not anything better for us, like nothing that we revel and take joy in more than welcoming babies. And so we're going to get to do a whole lot of that <laughs> coming up pretty soon. That's awesome. That is really, that's actually really sweet. Uh, that's fun. Uh, well, I've heard a lot about Ecclesia over, over the years. And uh, so it's fun to hear some real life stories about what you guys are doing in the middle of all kinds of trauma and pain. So, um, Sean, you're, you're a pastor. You've been a pastor for a long time. And you write about the church as beloved community. Uh, let's let's start this way. How would you define church? What it is? Well, um, in the most basic sense, the church are those who are called out by God. Um, this particular community, an alternative community in the world, that serves as a preview of God's full and coming kingdom. So it's not the full kingdom because those inside the church obviously are still flawed. We fail and we sin, but they are the people who have kingdom priorities and are striving to live under the rule of the king. So when I think of a church, 
and this is what this is a product of growing up in churches of Christ, right? So when when we talk about when most people say church, they say I'm going to church or I'm going to the church, and they're talking about the building. And I understand just colloquially how we use that, and and that's fine. But in my bones uh, and in my language, I grew up saying I'm going to the church building. We're yeah. having a meeting at the church building uh, because the church is the people and um, the spirit of God. I was taught as a boy, which is so much of what unarmed empire is about is me trying to uh, connect others to the spirit of the church that was taught to me as a boy. Um, The spirit of God is among the people of God and the people are the church and it takes different forms, whether gathered or scattered, um, however, whatever language people want to wrap around that, but that's the church and it is this, beloved community who do things the way the king would have them done. Yeah, love that. And I think it's really unique that you write from the perspective of loving your heritage. We I think there's a lot of books where people and it's it's fine. They 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 sort of need to rail against it. They need to push against what they grew up in. But I'm I'm taken by some of your descriptions of the Church of Christ and even that even in that little example you gave that I'm going to the church building because the church is the people. So what, mm-hmm. what was it about the church of Christ, churches of Christ that gave you that kind of vision from such an early age? Well, a lot of it was the negatives about us. So for instance, our polity, for instance, we are churches of Christ have been, and it's hard for me to, I don't know whether to say we or them anymore because yeah. I'm not yeah. currently serving in a church of Christ, church of Christ. And that was really hard for me. To, to make that transition, even though I have deep roots there and stay connected with that community. Um, but say polity, for instance, for as an example, in a lot of churches, the senior pastor is kind of the guy in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, in churches of Christ, that is not largely the case. And there are a lot of negatives to that, Steve, a lot of drawbacks in a lot of ways. But what it did teach me as a um, as a boy is like that 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 guy up there. And in my churches at that time, it was all men. Mm. Uh, there's nothing spiritually special about him. That's not spiritually special about me. Yeah. And about the, uh, the, the older woman who teaches my Bible class and we all have this equal access and opportunity to love and serve and be welcomed by God. Uh, so, um, I, I think we overdid that a lot in my heritage, but I think like that was, that was the, that was the beauty, the kernel at, at the center that yeah. was that was meaningful. Um, that, that that the preacher, the pastor, didn't have a special revelation from God that no one else could get. Um, so so that was part of it, and it was this all this idea that the church then is just sent into the world, and a woman of God, a man of God, in the fullest sense, anywhere anywhere you were, and, and so those kind of things were highlighted in my upbringing. Um, so that that that's part of it. I think because we were a cappella churches that I grew up in also plays a part in it. That we bring this, we do this thing together. Yeah. And we we may not be equally gifted in terms of our our singing ability, but we sing with one voice. Yeah. Um and you learn four part harmony in churches of Christ. And so you something that can get instinctively downloaded into you. Um, is this idea of creating harmony. Yeah. Um, also, I think because Churches of Christ, at least at the time when I was growing up, were apolitical. Matter of fact, many of our uh, 
our great leaders throughout the centuries have been people who men and women who didn't even vote. Wow. Um, so the church was at the center of life. And if you wanted to do something to make an impact in your community, you did it through the avenue of the church, not through the avenue of the ballot box. So, so many things that have happened in the last 10 to 15 years in evangelicalism just seems so foreign to me, seems yeah. so like, is this the church? And I'm grateful that I didn't grow up in a system where I had to throw all of that off. I had a whole bunch of different other stuff I had to throw right, off. Right, right, and right. Work through. And so when I got around to writing Unarmed Empire, the, the, the reason, like, I think I'm pretty critical of the contemporary American church, and I think rightfully so, but for a redemptive end. But the, you know, I've heard from so many people, it's a hopeful book. Yeah. And I think the reason is because I didn't do it during deconstruction. Like so many people are writing, they are writing their deconstruction. Yeah. And I, I'm a big believer in deconstruction. Um, but I think that it's reconstruction that's helpful. Yeah. Um, you need to go through your deconstruction and then once, once you've got, um, some structures to stand on, then you can share them. Yeah. Um, because it's it, the middle of deconstruction. If you're disoriented, you're going to disorient everyone else even, even more so. Yeah. And I think there's a, I mean, there's an energy to that. There's a palpable energy to disorientation that is sometimes attractive, but I also really agree with you that in general, it, it, it doesn't, it's not going to take anybody necessarily anywhere. It gives people permission for sure. Um, but it's, but it's not as helpful as someone that's writing from the perspective of the reorientation. And I mean, on that note, you, you write about the temptation for Christians and we see this all the time to harbor a kind of a sense of superiority. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the temptation that we need to avoid against. Can you tease that out in terms of, you know, Christian culture and empire and stuff like that? Yeah. So, um, I think this is unarmed empire really is a, um, popularized to some degree take on the what, what I think the apostle Paul is doing through his letters. And at the heart of that conflict, what Paul is working out, the biggest issue in the church is the church. And he's got Jews and Gentiles and Jews are looking at Gentiles coming into the church and thinking, we think we're just better than these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's at the heart of it. And so if you grow up in a culture where your religion is uh, privileged, um, I mean, can there is no one who has successfully run for president of the United States who did not, not at least on some nominal level, say they were a Christian. Yeah. Um, that's privilege. Um, there are churches on every, I mean, when my father-in-law was preaching, there were tax deductions for suits for gas, for like, if you were a preacher, uh, and so what we see now, even in public discourse is this idea that Christianity in some way should be privileged. So when people yeah. talk about prayer in school, for instance, uh, and they say, we need prayer back in school. Okay. Are you going to let the local Imam come and lead a prayer in right, school? Right, right, um, right. I guess the, an the answer would probably be no, but that would be a prayer in school. Yeah. What they're saying is we want Christian prayer yeah. when we want a nativity scene on the courtyard. We want Christian expressions. When we say, when we want to say Merry Christmas and not get any blowback, or we want people even worse than that to say Merry Christmas to us, regardless of what their commitments are. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is wanting to being desirous of privilege. And we, we arrive at that place because we believe that Christianity is just better. Yeah. 
than other religions. And because it's better than other religions, it makes us better as people. Now, I would affirm um, that Christianity is I'd want to talk about what I mean by that, but I don't believe that because Christianity is superior, that makes me superior. Yeah. And there's a difference. Yeah. Um, does, does my adherence to this religion make me better than other people? And I would say no. And if you believe that you do, then you are kind of wrapping yourself up in superiority. And what happens then is that people who believe or practice differently than us, uh, if I'm superior, then they must be inferior. Right. And we approach them not from a position of embrace, um, but a position of exclusion. Yeah. And and we and we push away and say, when you when you are enough like me, then we can be in fellowship together. Um, and we I was at a Christian conference last summer and the guy was telling a story about these this, these lesbian neighbors of him and his. His is pure, but his behavior and language both revealed um, we're going to be in relationship with them so that they can become like us. Oh, right. Um, uh, there's another story. I was somewhere else and, uh, this church was a multi-site church and they had an opportunity to buy an old mall piece of an old mall. And they said, Oh man, we just, we just can't afford it. It would be a good opportunity. Um, but then, um, then they, um, got word that a local mosque was going to buy it. Hmm. And so suddenly he goes to his board. They've got the money to buy this place now. And it's a great story of a woman who is Muslim who converted to Christianity and she accepts Jesus. And he's saying, you know, uh, she could have stayed in, uh, in Islam. Okay. I, I, I get your motive there, your evangelistic motive. Um, but your, your, Dollars weren't motivated until you could keep that property from someone else who believed differently than you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so these are the ways it kind of practically plays out. And that's what Paul's dealing with in Romans. How do these people, Jews and Gentiles, uh, Jews who think that they are God's chosen people, they've been they are God's chosen people. Uh, they've been they've been selected by God, but now they have to incorporate these Gentiles and all their dirty Gentile habits into yeah. one family. And how do you do that? Yeah. Uh, and so we're still, we're still dealing with the same issue that Paul was dealing with in the first century, because there is something insidious to religion that makes us believe that our wholehearted and rightful belief, uh, that God is expressed most fully through our religion makes us special as well, just for adhering to that religion. So well said. And I think that's such a danger um, for for any of us. And I think if we go back even to the disciples of Jesus, they were so uh, diverse in terms of their political outlooks, their theological outlooks. You know, here we got 12 people that probably couldn't have been more dissimilar. <laughs> and the early church, as you as you point out, I don't think we really remember that that was a staggering work of diversity from the very, mm -hmm. very beginning. And so what they had to work out was just unbelievably complex. Mm -hmm. uh, and so here we are in 2017 um, dealing with some of the same things. And I, yeah. I, I just find it fascinating. Still working it out. Yeah. Still working it out. In the beloved community. I love that. Um, and so 
uh, okay, so here's a question, uh, Sean. Being a uh, African American evangelical man living in the South, uh, how do you experience that these days, especially in this current crazy political climate? <laughs> well, there are a couple of things, and I think this is another thing that's really owed to my upbringing in Churches of Christ because we were never part of anything besides us. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody else. Um, I never took on the label of an evangelical. Okay, okay. I've never seen myself that way. I never knew what it meant. I still don't really know what it means. I It's becoming clearer to me every day that other people don't know what it means either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what does it mean? It doesn't know what it means. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, th- there are so many pieces being written right now about, you know, uh, my friend Jeff Holtzclaw actually just wrote an article for Missio Alliance called The Last Evangelical. And it's like, are Franklin Graham and Jerry Falwell the last evangelicals? Mm-hmm. Where the word itself has this really meaningful and rich uh, undercurrent of, being centered on the teachings of Jesus and yep. being evangelistic for the purposes of Jesus. But now I think it would just be silly for anyone to try and defend that evangelical American evangelicalism is anything but a conservative political movement with particular political ends and will support anyone who has those ends or a pretense toward those ends. Like there, yeah. there is no, in my mind, denying that fact. Yeah. So a lot of people are having to, you know, Tim Keller just recently wrote a piece uh, I think in the New York Times yeah. or what I can't remember. Uh, and so and he was trying to say evangelicalism is this big global and, and he's absolutely right. So that hasn't really affected me because I've never been a part of it. OK. Right. And so here's the thing. And when people think about it. When we say evangelical, even in the Christian community, we don't think of brown and black people. Uh, like who is the so. I've been distanced from that. I mean, there have been. Does anyone think that Martin Luther King was an evangelical? Right. People, you're right. People don't think that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I mean, evangelicalism has already been bracketed to a certain amount of people <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, now, but here I am in Houston, Texas, at a diverse church in the most diverse city in the United States, but it's still predominantly white. I think. Ecclesia reflects uh, both where it is contextually and the city that's in. So if you're there, if you if you want to come to Ecclesia and only speak to Hispanic people, you will have plenty of people to speak to. Yeah. If you only want to speak to African Americans, you'll have plenty of people to speak to. Uh, so it's not as if you know it's just one speck here and there when you look out across the church. Um, but I don't think most of us at our congregation would consider ourselves evangelical. I think most of us at Ecclesia would consider us Ecclesians. Yeah. 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 And, and the thing that I love about it does the local church central. So I don't think my friends in our community feel like they have to answer or respond to anything that even some evangelical says, uh, some nation, national evangelical, even though there are, there are tons of people um, who worship at Ecclesia, who, who would readily align themselves with the priorities of some well-known evangelicals. Sure. And there are others who push against it because it is, again, a diverse church. So people, when they approach me to ask about uh, where evangelicalism is right now, no one ever expects me to answer with the party line. Hmm. No one treats me by the party line. In fact, I am most often asked to speak about or talk about 
what is the problem with evangelicalism? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I um, uh, not to name drop, but I think it gives a little perspective. I had this conversation uh, about six months ago with Rob Bell. Yeah. And he was saying that evangelicalism, like if you look at the word, like he's great to be associated with evangelicalism. It, 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 but to me, that was like, well, yeah, if um, if my aunt had different parts, she'd be my uncle. Like it doesn't matter yeah. what people and I've had this conversation with Scott McKnight over through the years, and Scott's a great friend and, and great mentor. Um, it doesn't matter what we say it means. Yeah. It matters what people think it means. Yes. Uh, and I think the job of the local church at this moment in time in America is that we are constantly having to redefine what we mean by evangelicalism. And we can't do that with words. We have to do that with action. There you go. Um, and, um, you know, Beth Moore, who is kind of a new Twitter friend of mine, is doing a really great job. Oh, uh, man, she's lighting this. it up, lighting she, it up. <laughs> she is, and she doesn't live far away, and I'm, I'm trying to hardly convince her she just needs to come over for dinner and just hang out with the family. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I don't get asked that a lot uh, in terms of how it affects me. I do know this, and you may feel some of this too. I feel like it is incumbent upon me to understand what non-Christians think when they hear evangelical and to push against it. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. if you've read the first couple of stories in the, in the book, one about the girl who says, I'm never going to go to church again yeah. uh, because they don't like Democrats. Like that's, those are the people I feel called yep. to, to speak to. Yeah, exactly. And that is exactly, um, I mean, I can, I can get angsty and I can get a little upset at the, at the folks who want to defend the old school evangelical, but when it comes right down to it, you're right. The people that I care most about are the folks that, that, that have an opinion about what that means from a non-Christian perspective. And I want to, I want to speak to them. I want to, I want to be with them. So I I don't want to spend a lot of the energy of my life, um, having conversations with people who are already going to be, um, in God's preferred future with me. Yeah. (laughs) So I would like to spend that with people who need to experience, who need to experience God in Christ. That's beautiful. Uh, well, man, the time is, uh, running out. I have one more question for you, Sean. I've loved this conversation. It's gone too fast. Uh, but who's inspiring you these, these days and who is giving you hope? Um, actually I just mentioned like, uh, I've never in my life read a Beth Moore book. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that she is writing furiously right now about, well, for, for reasons that are personally connected to, to my extended family, you know, I resonate with, with, with her and some of her past abuse issues and the things that she's saying about that. Um, but, uh, and some of the people who are inspiring right now is, uh, are people I've known through the years who are leading churches in various places around the country. And we've got kind of a little, um, Facebook group where we, we talk about kind of what, where we are and, uh, where the church is and how we can individually lead. A good friend of mine is a professor and writer. His name is Richard Beck and I've known Richard for a long time. And I think his book, uh, his first book, which is entitled unclean, Hmm. um, should be required reading for church leaders right now. He does a lot of work with hospitality, um, and uh, he's recently released a second book uh, called Stranger God. Uh, I I think his work is really helpful. So many of my fellow contributors over at Missio Alliance, I think at Missio, 
they're doing great, great work. Um, um, like David Fitch and Jeff Holz, J- yep. David's book, um, Faithful Presence, came out, I guess, last year. Uh, another book, book I would add, add and those, those, what they're, how they're trying to reshape and reorient um, American Christianity right now in some really thoughtful and beautiful ways, I think is um, really, really helpful. And those are, those are kind of folks that uh, I think are, are, are serving me right now. Actually, I just uh, read... Uh, John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping, and John was here at Ecclesia, and uh, I found I found that book really uh, particularly helpful. And so that's kind of the way I dialogue with people, and I'm fortunate enough that I can pick up the phone or send an email to some of these folks and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. ask questions. Um, and so those are the kind of folks that are that are really um, uh, that and the the poetry of Mary Oliver, I guess, oh, is yeah. what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, oh, beautiful. Oh, I love Mary, Mary Oliver. Whew, man. Uh, all right, Sean. Well, that is, uh, that is so helpful. I'm going to put those on the show notes. And uh, you're going to want to get out and, and buy Sean's book, Unarmed Empire in Search of Beloved Community. Uh, he also co-hosts a podcast called Not So Black and White. So I'll put that on the show notes as well. Uh, is there any other way that we can follow you, Sean? Website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So I am everywhere. You you can find at Sean Palmer on Twitter. Uh, there's Sean Palmer Writer on Facebook. The Not So Black and White page is also on Facebook. And you can connect with... Uh, connect with me there. I, I try to be really good about, uh, getting back with people. Um, ecclesiahouston.org is where all of, uh, my sermon content is being loaded right now. And, uh, that's a great place to connect with that. If you're just interested in what's being taught down at Ecclesia, or if you're in Houston and you're looking for a community where you can really invest and be discipled, uh, check that out and see if Ecclesia might be a way that God could speak to you in this next season. Beautiful. All right. All those things will be on the show notes uh, at steveleans.com. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. As I say always, Sean, this is how we uh, close out the podcast. We're dust and breath. We're limited and limitless. We're human and holy. We're in it together. So thanks for being, being on the show with us, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on Facebook at Steve Ween's Author, Twitter at Steve Ween's, and Instagram at Steve Ween's. And you can find all my work, all my books, the show notes, all kinds of other fun stuff on my website, steveweens.com. And please consider supporting me on Patreon. Lots of fun benefits for all levels of patrons. Check it out at patreon.com slash thisgoodword. Suburban